Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with bit and brittle, and it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The word of the Lord. If you've hung around me uh, the past couple of months, you might have seen me uh, wear a black shirt uh, with, uh, it has some colored uh, all caps print in the front uh, that has the phrase or these words, uh, fresh start. Fresh start. I usually wear it either when I'm uh, playing sports or working out. and It's a reminder to me that in this life, you can really truly experience a new beginning. Uh, that you're not bound by the brokenness of your past, by your family system's baggage, uh, by your negative spiritual experience. That in fact it is possible to experience a sort of fresh start with God, with others, and within yourself. But what happens when you feel like it's too late to start over? Or do you ever really wish like you could really go back or start new or hit the reset button on a relationship or on a decision that you made long ago or, or maybe even on life? The truth is we've all gone through those seasons or those moments where we all need and we all crave that. The text we have before us today tells us that a happy, lucky, or what the author uh, of this text uh, calls a blessed life really is possible. That not just a better life, but a new life is available to us if we want it. That there is a better story to live into than the one we were handed or made to believe, or maybe even currently live into. In fact, through this psalm, God invites us to enter and experience a life, a story that is joyful, full, beautiful, free, transformational, and impactful. In short, God invites us to a fresh start. So, 
We'll look at this psalm in three points. Um, First, we need a fresh start. Uh, Second, what keeps us from a fresh start. And third, living after or into a fresh start. So first, uh, we need a fresh start. The author of this text, Psalm 32, if you've got it open, keep it around there or your app, uh, jumps right into his story in verses 3 and 4. He writes, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. What we read and see and hear the author describing is this miserable, disordered, chaotic life. And the reason for this life he gives us, he says, is that he has kept silent. Well, kept silent about what or from whom? Well, the background of this story is a well-known Old Testament story. And it's that the author, King David, after he slept with one of his soldier's wives, finds out she's pregnant and decides to put Uriah, her husband, in the front line of war, which is essentially a death sentence. And sure enough, Uriah dies. David then takes Bathsheba, the wife, into his home and continues, at least superficially or on the outside, with life as usual. But here in these verses, we get a glimpse into his inner life. And he's miserable. His conscience doesn't give him peace. He knows that what he did was wrong. He describes this this pressure of never letting up. All because he did not open himself up to God. He kept silent. See, true freedom like our culture says, does mean being our true selves and expressing it. But the question is, what does it mean to be our true selves? Who or what is our true self? And what the Bible says is that your true self, your identity, does not lie, as culture often tells us, in your job title or your career, in your education, in your sexuality, in your geography, in your bank account, or anything else. They are a part of you, and they do shape and form you, but they do not define you at your deepest level. At your core level, what defines you is your relationship with your creator who invites you into friendship and intimacy and relationship. All of life revolves around this reality. Notice then what David is saying here in contrast to what we'll hear from our culture and what we'll believe. We've been formed to believe that to be happy requires us to hide or suppress the parts of our story of our lives that are hurt. To not let anyone see the real you. To not let anyone know what you're feeling, not let the world around you know that you're in pain or that you're hurting. To keep part of your heart to yourself, lest it be broken. But what David says is that doesn't work. 
That's not true freedom. If you can't express yourself, be yourself, really yourself, warts and all. And if you can't show the person who made you all of your brokenness, then is that really freedom? Now, those who have true friends know that this is true. Superficiality doesn't work in friendships, does it? True friends are those who are there with you through the high points and the low points. They know all of your weaknesses. They can see through your brick exterior. Well, guess what? God wants that with you. Keeping silent about your sin doesn't allow for that to happen. Why? Because sin, by definition, separates us from God. It keeps us at arm's length from him and more than arm's length. But God doesn't want your superficial self. He wants all of you, not just the parts that we pretend to show everybody else. In this moment of guilt and shame, David doesn't feel like he's near or close to God. Do you see then that if there's anyone who wanted and longed for a fresh start more than anyone else, it's David. If there's anyone who prayed for a do-over in life, for a clean slate, it's him. So what happens next? Second, what keeps us from a fresh start? The author continues, verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. This is the climax of this text, of this psalm. What does it mean to live a happy, lucky, blessed life? David says that when he acknowledged, when he admitted, when he uncovered his sin, God forgave. Not thought about it, not waited to see if David meant it, not forgave with a wag of the finger. David says, speaking of God, you forgave And why was being forgiven such a big deal? What did that mean? It meant first and foremost that he got a fresh start in his relationship with God. Being honest and transparent by admitting wrong opened the door to forgiveness. Which allowed relationship to happen. And once David was secure in that relationship, what else could he possibly want from life? It meant everything to him see David knew that God is a good loving God and guys as Christians that is the basic driving animating primary force dynamic of our lives it undergirds everything about what we think or see or do. Understanding that reality is what defines us as Christians. David can be honest with God because he knows that God will wipe his slate clean. He knows what the end result will be. He knows what God's actions to his acknowledging and confessing when uh, sin will be. No one forces God to show love. And not only does he remove this objective guilt 
so that David doesn't have to suffer punishment, but he also removes this subjective shame so that he doesn't have to live in inner anguish. He doesn't have to live a life of regret or self-accusation. Here's the thing. David is saying that the happiest people in the world are those who not only know they need to be forgiven, but those who have experienced that forgiveness for themselves. In other words, it's not enough to know that you're broken, that you're sinful. I mean, who doesn't know that they're imperfect? There is an experience that comes after that for those who look to God for help. And what does that experience look like? You know, one of my favorite paintings is Rembrandt's uh, The Return of the Prodigal Son. Uh, if you look at the painting in the, in the bottom left-hand corner, uh, you'll see uh, the return of this prodigal son. Uh, the son is in rags, he's missing hair, he's missing a sandal, he's dirty, obviously hasn't taken a bath in a long time. He looks thin, he's on his knees, his eyes are closed. You don't even see his full face in the painting. But his head is laying on his father's lap who's standing up, looking down at him in rich robes. He's clean. He's wearing this red coat that looks royal. He looks old and wise, but he's slightly bent over with both hands on his son, eyes locked in on him. Several onlookers are standing around and in the distance, in the dark, just staring at what's happening, including one person whom... If you remember the story, we know that it's the older brother on the right-hand side of the painting looking down on the son, his brother, Sirius, with a light scowl, also in red robes, hands closed with no emotion and a rod in his hand. Now when Jesus told that story, it was clear that he expected his listeners to identify with one of the two brothers. In other words, he wants us to ponder, really ponder and ask ourselves, which son or daughter am I? David says that when you've actually experienced the love of a good father, not just learned about it or studied it, but experienced it for yourself, you have nothing to fear, nothing to hide, nothing to be afraid or ashamed of. But when you haven't experienced that love, or when that love hasn't reached the depths of your heart, then a certain self-righteousness pops up that begins to look like either religion or irreligion have you experienced that freedom today maybe you haven't experienced that freedom of forgiveness and a fresh start not really or maybe you've forgotten what that voice assuring you of his love sounds like or worse Maybe you've let other voices around you drown out that one voice. You know who else heard that voice reassure him of his love? Jesus. 
Listen to how Henry Nouwen puts it. The voice Jesus heard when he came out of the Jordan River said, You are my beloved, on you my favor rests. And Jesus says to you and to me that we are loved as he is loved. That same voice is there for you. There are many other voices speaking loudly. Prove that you are the beloved. Prove you're worth something. Prove you have any contribution to make. Do something relevant. Make a name for yourself. These voices are so strong in this world. These were the voices Jesus heard right after he heard, you are my beloved. Another voice said, prove you are beloved. Do something. Change these stones into bread. Be sure you're famous. Jump from the temple and you will be known. Jesus said, no. I don't have to prove anything. I am already the beloved. How how could Jesus live that kind of life? A life where in the midst of of so many voices around him telling him otherwise, how how could he live a life that was so secure in his identity with the Father? And is it possible for us to experience and live that kind of life? Well, Psalm 32 opens by describing sins being covered. What does it mean for sin to be covered? How can sin be covered? Can can we cover our own sin? No. Can another human being cover our sin? No. So then? Well, in Old Testament times, God promised to forgive people their sins through the act of a priest sacrificing an animal because the animal's blood or death would cover the punishment that the people deserved for their sins. But the problem is that these sacrifices, because they were from an animal, only covered for a time. How many sacrifices would you need to cover all of your sins for a lifetime, the sins you commit with your thoughts, with your speech, with your actions. In other words, what we need is something or someone like a lamb, but someone more than a lamb. We need a perfect human being, and that's who Jesus is. Hebrews says, unlike the other priests, he has no need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. This he did once for all when he offered himself. The perfect lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world has been sacrificed. You know what that means for you? It means you don't have to be sacrificed. It means you don't have to work for that fresh start, for that do-over, for that clean slate. Someone did that for you already. Someone paid the price so you can live a new life. And now his life, he lives in and through you. His perfect life is counted as if it's yours. You don't have to earn your father's love. It's too good to be true, isn't it? For this good, gracious God to tell us you have a new life. 
You don't have to prove that you deserve it. Just live free. It's too good for us to hear. We don't know what to do with it or whether or not to believe it. Trust Jesus. Trust that what he did and what he says is actually true. That his new life is yours and yours forever. That nothing and no one can take it away. In fact, the hope of the Christian is that one day, everything bad, everything that has been destroyed, every marriage that has been broken, every parent-child relationship that has been severed, every miscarriage, every disease, even every death will be undone and made new. Not just in a better world, but in a new world. Blessed is the man whose sins and transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. This is the true, happy, lucky, blessed life. In relationship to the person who made you, who is for you, who is on your side, who lives in you, who longs for you, and who promises to one day not let anyone or anything get between you ever again. To get a fresh start, this is good news. Wonderful, beautiful, glorious news. Third and last, living into it. Living into a fresh start. Here's the question. What kind of life will you now then live? If you've trusted in Jesus, you've been given this new life, what will you make of it? Here's what God desires. That this love and this freedom would propel you and move you outward toward others. You can't keep this love to yourself. How could you? You see others around you hiding and living in a way that is filled with guilt and with shame. And you've tasted true freedom. How can you not share this with others? Not just for a few hours at a service event. Though we do have serve day coming up in a couple of weeks. Not just in another part of the world for a week once a year. That we do have some upcoming global opportunities next year, 2020. But as missionaries, as sent ones in the everyday rhythms and routines of life. To whom have you been sent in order to share this love? God has sent you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. You are sent. Who has he sent you to? Where has he sent you to? Who has God placed around you so that through you others might see and hear of his love? This is our mission. This is our calling. To reveal the kingdom of God to those whom we have been sent. Now we see what that might look like in the ending of this text, verses 6 through 11, with three practical implications. I'll call them risk, learn, and party. Uh, What kind of fresh start, new, lucky, blessed life does being secure in the Father's love lead you to? What kind of life? It leads you to a life of risk, a life of learning, and a life of party. So, first, risk. Verse 6 and 7. 
Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Now the assumption of David is that high waters or danger would come and that they would be part of life. In other words, he doesn't assume that trusting and following God means total and complete safety and comfort. It's an American suburban dream. dream. doesn't exist. When is the last time you felt in danger for your faith? Now, I'm not talking about politics, feeling like you're persecuted. When is the last time you took a risk in sharing this new life with someone? In living this new life with someone, especially someone far from God who doesn't follow Jesus. Here's my challenge to you this week and in coming weeks. One way, one idea for you to begin living a life of risk. I want you to think of one Christian and one non-Christian friend, co-worker, neighbor, mom at the playground, etc. And I want you to do two things with them. I want you to bless them, and I want you to eat with them. Now, by bless, could mean a couple of things. It could mean you give them words of affirmation. So look for a thing or two where uh, you can tell them that you notice something, you respect them for, you appreciate them for, uh, something that you admire. It could be giving a gift, or it could be doing an act of kindness toward them. Mowing their lawn, taking over some food, something tangible. Bless them and eat with them. Now by eating, I mean you eat 21 meals in a week, at least. Find two meals, pick any day, any time. And either host someone, this Christian and this non-Christian, in your home. Or go out with them somewhere to eat. And what do you do while you're there? Just listen. Ask them about their story, their life, their background, their work, their education, their family. We're all self-centered. We all love to talk about ourselves. And as an introvert, I'll tell you, it's easy to talk to people when they're the ones doing all the talking. Try it. Risk by blessing and eating. Second, learning. In the midst of risk and adventure... We are to learn the way of God. Verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you, this is God speaking, with my eye upon you. Now as Christians, that means learning to follow our way, our guide, our teacher, Jesus. Jesus is more than a teacher But he's not less than a teacher. What rhythms do you have in place to intentionally learn Jesus? Not just his death on the cross or his resurrection or maybe even his birth. I mean really learn his life, his ways. If I were to ask you to talk to me about your favorite band or about your favorite sports team or about your favorite movie or TV show, you could probably tell me all about them. 
You know, it wasn't really until I came to, to serve and, and work at a mostly Anglo church that I really learned what college sports meant. I mean, really meant, right? I mean, some of you uh, could tell me all the stats, the years the teams were good. You could tell me all about the players, where they're from, what high school they went to. I mean, real creepy stuff, right? Ah. Now, what if I asked you to talk that way about Jesus? What could you tell me about him, his life, that didn't start with, well, he's Lord, he's Savior, he's God, born in Bethlehem? I mean, what if you talked about Jesus just like you talked about that game you went to last fall? Or about your favorite band in college or your favorite TV show? It is possible. But it takes an intentional learning of Jesus. So let me challenge you to something I've been doing lately. I, I know I'm late to this, uh, but I finally discovered Audio Bible, right? So just pulling up an app, Bluetoothing it to your car. So I want you to download a Bible app, any one of them, and listen to the Gospel of Mark this week. It takes about 10 minutes for me to get to work. I can get through three chapters in those 10 minutes. The book is 16 chapters long. Even if I only listen to it on the way to or from work, I can get through the book in five days, in a week. Try it this week. Learn to talk about, look at, listen to, and discuss Jesus like he's actually your friend. Someone whom you know intimately. Third, party. Knowing and experiencing this kind of love makes our hearts jump and our tongues shout for joy. The only proper response to experiencing a love like this is worship. And I'm not talking about a worship service. I'm talking about a lifestyle characterized by joy, by gladness, by happiness, and by singing. Verse 11, rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Now you know this already. But the Psalms are a very Jewish text. And if there are any people in the world who know how to throw a great party, it's the Jews. You know why? Because they believe psalms and texts like this one, which tells them that God created this world sacred and that there is nothing that cannot be remade new. There's nothing outside of his touch. God has been so good to us and therefore we live in awe and enjoy together. This last verse in the psalm talks about a celebration. Celebration can only happen in the context of community. We're not built to celebrate just in solitude. It's a party. Forgiveness brings us into a group of people who have also experienced the love of a good father and who are also therefore called beloved, inviting others, showing others, telling others of this incredible gift. So here's my challenge to you this week with this. 
as you're blessing and eating with people. Remember, one Christian, one non-Christian. And as you're learning Jesus, listen to the Gospel of Mark in the morning or in the afternoon. Take some time to party or to celebrate and invite people along. How might God reveal himself to others as they see Christians enjoying the goodness of creation to the glory of God? Do it this week with a joyful spirit knowing that the Father's love has been given to you. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. That is your calling. To know this love, to live in it, and to invite others to it. Let's pray. Father, what a gift to be reunited with your people this evening for worship, encouragement, and the reminder that you have offered to us in Jesus something truly radical and revolutionary. May this love move us toward others this coming week. Give us, your people, the boldness and the courage to invite others on this journey, knowing that the Spirit is with us every step of the way. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.